This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Amanda Delheimer. The story you're about to hear feels so familiar to me that it's almost like a diary entry that I never actually wrote down, though I could have written it a million times. I love this story because it's a real-time tracking, moment-by-moment recounting of an example of the type of harassment that many women experience daily, harassment that we haven't, historically, talked much about. Part of what feels so true about this story is the all-too-familiar fight-or-flight feeling, or rather, in the case of this story, the third option, fight, flight, or freeze. In her second story debut, we are pleased to present Claire Richlewski. The last light is fading from the sky when I board the train at Kimball. It's not quite sun. The day has been flashes of blue and gray. And you can tell by the bruise forming at the horizon line that bad things are coming. I am going on a date. The train is rickety as ever and slow as hell. I brought a book, but I can never read when I'm nervous. The dress I'm wearing just barely fits. A summer body still with a tan left over from spending months outside. It's a thrift store find, semi-designer for 15 bucks. It snaps up in the front, cut to bring my breasts into an impressive V with help from a push-up bra. I look risky. The dress is one of those sure things, one of those how-could-you-possibly-go-wrong things. One of those, well, here are my tits things. It's why I bought it. I had a skirt that my ex-boyfriend hated. I would laugh at him whenever he scrunched up his face at it. What the fuck do you know about fashion, I would demand. You own one pair of jeans, you fucking moron. And he would laugh, and I would laugh, and I wore that skirt because I wanted to. But he's not my boyfriend anymore, and I'm not that girl tonight, and so underneath this short thing dress that squeezes my ribs together, I wear dark purple lace. It's 7.30. I'm meeting him around 8 at a Pilsen joint I'm only barely familiar with, some dive bar called Junior's that I'll have to trek Cermak to get to. I said yes because I like him, because he's funny and charming, and I can't believe he likes me. I've been home from school for about three months, back nestled in the house I grew up in on the northwest side of Chicago, and it does feel like home, but it also feels new, or maybe I feel new. I look out the window as we creak past Sedgwick. I hear thunder crack the rooftop of the train car. The sky opens. I'm glad I brought an umbrella, bringing a tentative hand to my hair, which I've tamed from its natural waves. My face is done up, too. I'm hoping it keeps. My eyes are lined with what my ex called mean girl makeup. Whenever I want to impress a man, I've found that looking least like myself seems to work well. The train rolls into Clark and Lake, and I wait at the platform for the pink line. I feel my phone buzz. Still up to meet, he asks. Y-E-S, I type back. I sit down. I'm facing the doors on the left side. A man sits next to me on my right. Approaching 50, maybe, Latino. 
I don't look at him close because I never look at men close when I'm out in public. It's an invitation. He sits next to me and I can immediately feel it. Hate burning off him like hot coal. Smoke seems to arise, blowing straight at me off his denim jacket. I do not move, feeling my breast suddenly heavy. He is angry, and I know it is my fault. My breast's fault, my dress's fault, my hair is too long's fault, my thighs are too thick, my ass is too big. All too much, all too woman. Pinche puta, he spits loudly. The words fall to the floor next to my feet like bang snaps in July. I don't know Spanish, but I know this. The hair on my arm raises and I jump a little, surprised. I almost look at him, but I catch myself just in time. Pendeja, he snarls at the window straight ahead of him, muttering off a string of Spanish. I clench and relax. He's not talking about you, I tell myself. He's getting louder now, his tongue finding jagged edges in the air. The words are rough, bumping against the roof of his mouth, pushing against one another to come out. He's cursing, a nightmarish stream broken up by words I understand. Esas mujeres, pendeja, puta. He's not talking about you, I say to myself again. Probably just crazy, probably just having a bad day. I've been taking the CTA since I was 14, just in time for men in public to start noticing me. They motion for me to take off my headphones, ask me if I have a boyfriend, ask me where I'm going, ask if they can come too. Sometimes when I decide not to answer, they ask me, what's your problem? I have a specific face and a specific body that I put on when I don't want a man to talk to me. Defensive, but not offensive disengaged but not disinterested enough to make them angry. I shift into it now, hoping to make up for whatever wrong I have done, but he continues in a pitter-patter of shouting and hissing that is out of step with the rain on the roof of the car. Puta, he yells, as if I didn't hear him the first time. The train jerks to a stop with a theatrical clap of thunder. The conductor blares over the speaker, a branch has fallen on the tracks. The train will be stopped while crews try to clear it. We do apologize for the inconvenience. The doors slide open to reveal a platform, rain bouncing off the frame and misting the car. Two women get off the train to smoke. Another woman eyes him, still angrily speaking out to no one, and exits too. I can leave, but I don't. The wind howls into the train car, but he is louder. Whore, stupid bitch. The words are heavy on the back of my neck. My jacket is zipped up now, past my collarbone. Did I do that? I don't remember. But my thighs and my legs, still thick, still flesh, alive, with blood running through them, they mock him. They disrespect him. He snarls at them and says through his teeth, Puta. There are a few things I think about. The doors, which are directly across from me. They're open, but what if this is the only car with open doors? 
what if I get out onto the platform and I can't switch cars and I have to come back in and he will know that I tried to leave and he will get even angrier and then where will I be? Not too many cabs roam around Western Cermax, so the idea of trying to catch one seems like it could be a bigger issue than my seatmate who steams ahead at the same steady roar. Meanwhile, the mood on the train has become increasingly uncomfortable. Like most CTA passengers, no one here really wants to engage this. To engage it is to deal with it. I watch them avert their eyes. Probably just crazy. Probably just having a bad day. If I were on the other side of the car, unseen, I would ignore it too. But finally, a young man calls over to him in Spanish. I do not look at him either because if I pretend that I don't notice any of this, there is a chance it's not about me. They argue. My seatmate lowers his voice and then falls silent, but I can feel, still feel the steam. I am one stop away from my destination, Damon. I look out into the blinding rain. We're still waiting on those crews, the conductor cuts in. But they should be finished in 15 minutes or so. It's approaching 8. I text my date. Gonna be late. Train's delayed. I do not mention the man sitting next to me. A minute later, he replies, All good. Just got here. See you soon. I can hear him starting up again next to me. More Spanish that I don't understand. I see the young man who tried to intervene in my peripheral, his hand waving up and down in defeat. Why don't I leave? Pendeja. This morning I saw my mother. I brought in her groceries and she brushed my hair behind my ear, a cold flash of her watch against my skin. You're such a good daughter, she said. And I wondered if the smell of my shampoo was on her fingers. I wonder what she would say about my dress, if she would zip my jacket to my collarbone. Once, she and I had a conversation about what a strange phenomenon womanhood is. Watched, inspected, assessed, catcalled for most of our lives, only to be dropped into invisibility once the crow's feet set in. I wish I were invisible now. When I was a baby, my mother saw a psychic who told her I would grow to absorb the feelings and emotions of everyone around me. Like a sponge, my mom says. She always shakes her head at this. She can't believe how right the psychic was. My mother tells me to speak up more, to be less sensitive, but she never told me the right way to cross my legs on the train. Much later, I will mention this to her, and she will say, did I ever tell you about your aunt and the Kleenex? And I will say, no. And she will tell me about the time my aunt, my grandma, and my great aunt were on the green line. A man sat next to my aunt and started jerking off. And he asked my aunt for a Kleenex when he was finished. And she gave it to him. Why didn't you ever tell me about this, I will ask. And she will shrug. I don't know, she will say, tucking it back into the Rolodex of grievances that forces us to place everything on a spectrum titled, Could Be Worse. I can feel his eyes on me. Puta, and he begins again, and I am exhausted, and the doors are still open, and why won't I just fucking leave? I don't know. 
I think about it again. It could be worse. And anyway, you have to pay the piper. Everybody knows you don't go out in a dress like that. What made me special? What made me think I could throw out the rules, the ones everybody knows? I thought I could fly under the radar. I'd been caught, and I need to, needed to suffer the consequences. I can hear it in every other word he spits. Did you think you could go out with sex written all over your body and not be put back in your place? Maybe next time you'll think twice. I look out again across the platform to the darkened sky. I can feel the rain curving in to mist my shins. I think maybe I can feel his breath on my cheek and maybe I can feel the muscles in my legs twitching, but I sit perfectly still. And suddenly, the doors close. Thank you for your patience. We're moving. And he's quiet. And my eyes are on the window ahead of me as we drive into the western half of the city. And my phone buzzes, but I don't check it. My thighs stick to the plastic seat, but I don't dare move them. That sound, the sound your skin makes when the sweat makes it stick to your chair, that sound is too intimate and I have already caused offense. Damon arrives and I get off, and the man does too. For a moment, I wonder if he will follow me, but in fact, he seems to have forgotten about his tirade entirely, wandering aimlessly to the end of the platform. I do not stick around to see what he will do. I get to the bar, and he's there, my date. He smiles, we hug, I take off my jacket and hang it over the cracked brown leather of the bar stool. We face each other. I can feel acutely my dark purple lace underneath rubbing against my hip bone. He appraises me. You look really nice. Thank you. The story was curated by Aimee Tin, directed by Lexi Saunders, with music and sound design by Ben Zeman. The Second Story podcast is produced by Liv Oaf. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.